So this morning I had the pleasure and the absolute pleasure of talking to someone who I really, really like. I absolutely love this woman and what she's done and what she shared today was amazing. So I think you're going to love her too. Her name is Sunny Jo Lawrence and she is the wife of James Lawrence. Now, if you've heard of James Lawrence, maybe not, maybe so. The word Iron Cowboy might ring about. So Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence. He's the guy that's just come off the Conquer 100. That's 100 Ironmen in 100 consecutive days. Full length triathlon. So this is this is a feat that's never been achieved by anyone in the world, anywhere, at any time. He's been named the toughest man of the world by people like David Goggins. People out there that are also super hardcore. So I had his wife on the show to get her perspective, to really uncover what it is about Sonny Joe that makes the world go round and what are her goals and her mission and her values and how did she go with having a man in her life, a husband no less, that wanted to have these big dreams to go out there to be a triathlete but then also to break world records and then to take it above and beyond where everyone thought was going to be impossible. And so it is so powerful. The stuff that Sunny shares, her wisdom, her radiance, her light, it shines through in this episode. And I think there's, there's so many lessons for you, whether you're a business entrepreneur, whether you're a wife, a husband, relationship advice, marriage advice, it was absolutely great. And we just get right into it. And I think Sunny's perspective on life and how she goes about it and what she wants for the future and some of the lessons around how to deal with people, how to let go of your ego and how to actually get the situational outcome that you want, even when it's really challenging, even when the world is throwing obstacles at you, whether things are coming up and they're getting in the way and you know that you're committed to that mission, that it's the right thing to do. So dig in, listen to this episode. She's awesome. I know you're going to love her. Let's go. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Sonny Joe Lawrence, welcome to the show. In the flesh. <laughs> Here you are. What, what a great moment. I've been, I've been really looking forward to this. Thank you. Me too. I appreciate you making time for me. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. Um, well, that's cracking because I know you're a very busy woman. I guess um, the first kind of part of it is I, I really want to make this, this podcast all about you and I want to find about your perspectives and what I've been looking forward to it mostly is hearing about things like what is your motto for life? What's my motto for life? Yeah, because I've, I've kind of, I've been doing a lot of research. I've been following you you and your husband, James Lawrence, and obviously he is, is the Iron Cowboy. And to me, it seems like you have, you have a few mottos, but there's a few that stand out around like adversity and dealing with things that are difficult that I, I just resonate with so much that I just, I wondered if that was your motto for life or if that was just a principle that you, that you adhere to. Well, I'd have to say my very first motto is that um, you're going to touch people's lives, whether you want to or not. So everybody you pass on the street, whether it's in a grocery store or somebody you spend time with, or it's a close friend. And my number one motto is to leave a little sparkles and glitter with everybody that I pass, you know, in my life. So I, I hope to leave a positive impact on every single person I pass in my life. Um, because whether you like it or not, you're going to leave, you know, something behind, but definitely, I definitely am a seeker of hard. I love hard things. I love adversity. I love choosing the harder path. I love intentionally, um, 
going the direction that no one else wants to go. I don't know why, but I just absolutely love that. So what does that look like? So that that's, do you, it's not that you see the path and you go, everyone's going in the other direction. I'm going to run just purposefully in the other direction, just for the hell of it. It's more that you come up against a challenge and instead of not working through that, not, not walking away from that challenge, you go through it and you persevere. Is it, is it that? Yeah. It's like, bring it on. Bring you know, it like on. I think, yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't care what it is. And, you know, one of the things I like to use as example is when I mountain bike, I kind of intentionally hit the rocks because I feel like you, I'm never going to become a better mountain biker if I'm not intentionally hitting the rocks. And if I'm not intentionally taking the harder way, it's easy to be comfortable. It's easy to stay on the flat dirt path, but I mean, that's not what life is about. And the better you prepare yourself on your own doing hard things, the better you're prepared when they actually show up and you didn't invite them. So I, I love to pursue that so that whenever something comes my way, I'm ready. That's great. So, okay. Right. So I've got it. So at the top level, we've got spreading joy and bliss and glitter and, and touching and impacting lives people by people. We know we're going to go through life and we're going to, we're going to make an impact. So let's make it a good one. And that's your mission. And then a, a, a kind of deeper level when you are with yourself, when you're doing things like mountain biking, but that is a principle for life. You're going to go and force yourself to do the hard things. You're going to, to bang into the rocks. You're going to, to take on those challenges. And I guess yeah. that that's, that is such a, that is what resonated with me, right? That is the piece because it is that, that sharpens iron sharpens iron, not, not to kind of pardon the pun, but like it is, when when you're kind of facing life and it's coming at you it is about being prepared and it is about knowing that you've got that metal in you so I guess the the big question that leads me to it is when James was doing like the 30 when when he was kind of doing the 30 the world record back in 2012 and then he says to you look I've got this idea I want to do the 50 50 50 50 Ironman 50 states 50 days what did your brain do and, and how did you cope with that well, my response was, have you no respect? <laughs> because I had barely, I barely survived 2012. I had this gaggle of little kids. And we had no money. We had no car. You know, we were living off $1,000 a month as this family of seven. And I just, I couldn't conceive that he was still thinking that this wasn't big enough and there was more. Cause I was like, we haven't even finished this yet. He still had two events left in, in 2012. And so I was like, Whoa, man, let's just get through this first. Yeah. And so I told him he couldn't talk to me about it till February. So we finished the first week in December and I made him wait till February because I was like, I got to get my feet underneath me after to date. Still, that's the hardest year of my life, 2012. So um, I probably shouldn't have been surprised, but I guess it was earlier in my marriage, you know, <laughs> Now I wouldn't be surprised. Anything he says to me, I'm like, nothing is shocking, right? <laughs> like anything and everything he says, I'm just like, of course, of course, that's what your brain's thinking, right? Uh, but I feel like it's been really, really good for me because our personalities are very different. And right. I feel like it has blessed my life abundantly to be married to him, where he is so eager to conquer the world, for lack of better terms so how are your personalities different and i guess how, how does living with someone that throws up these chat i mean 
the hundred Congo 100 like that is, no one else on the face of the earth has done something like that so and you're married and living to the man that's done that with five kids as well as having a relationship with him and, and like how are your personalities different and I guess how does that impact your relationship well um they really are completely opposite like I'm an extrovert he's an introvert um I'm very social I love people and he's like reclusive or I love seeking extensive knowledge where he's like nah dude I'm good I don't like I mean he likes to learn and grow but like I want to know the details of things I want to know how it's broken down and he's like nah I'm good or he has this drive like he he grew up his dad is a firefighter and James is like I want to be rich I don't want to just be okay and I'm like well I don't even care about money I would have worked in an orphanage and, or helped dogs in a shelter my whole life, you know? So even our, our, the way we value money is very different. And I come from a huge family. He comes from a small family. Um, he, I love spicy food. He hates spicy food. He eats meat. I don't really eat meat. You know, I I mean, lots of opposites here then. We are totally opposite. We joke all the time. It's just salads and sushi. That's the only thing we have in common. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, even our styles, you know, it's like, I love, old music and old furniture and, you know, history and depth. And James is like, that's weird. Who cares? You know, he just doesn't, he doesn't have that deep thinking. Mm. So um, that's what makes the bedroom. I've seen the bedroom. It looks great. Like the half half bedroom. That is awesome. Where he wants, like, I love going to a thrift store and finding these wacky things. And he's like, why? I just like, you know, I'm good with this new dresser that's brown that matches. And I'm like, well, why do we want, I hate matching. I love, I love this quirky mismatch. I mean, you see all the pictures on my wall behind me where he likes everything like matching, like a red shirt, red pants, red shoes. And I'm like, I'd wear blue socks just so I wasn't matching. I'm very tidy. He is, you know, he doesn't care about that. So we're very, very different. Very different. It's fun though. You know, that's how you learn and grow is by being around people that are different than you. If you're around people that validate who you are and what you believe your whole life, there's no growth in that. And frankly, it's quite boring. So I love being challenged. I love people with different personalities or different beliefs and having a conversation with them because I feel like it really helps my growth as a person. And so what what was your journey like then in, in taking all of that? Because there would have been two kind of James is out there doing the thing, going, going after it every day. And you're there, essentially the backbone of, of this Iron Man thing and, and everything I guess, rests on all these other people rallying around. How, how did that experience happen for you? And, and say the 50-50-50, I think there's differences in terms of the logistics that were around that Definitely. trip and having the five kids there. And then say- the And their ages, right? Their ages. Yeah, there's a big difference in it. Like there's wow. a six-year difference between the two events. So can you talk so to I, a bit about that? Yeah, like how it was- yeah, like the 50 was like, I basically, it was like 911. I got to come in and I have to figure everything out. And everybody's turning to me for answers. And I'm like, well, I don't even know. What are we talking about? Like, I, I didn't help with any of the planning. I was in school. I, I graduated right before we finished. And so not only did I not know what was going on, but I very much so did not know what was going on because I didn't help with any of the planning. And so when I had to come in, it was like panic mode. And I'm one of my greatest strengths is problem solving. Like I'm an incredible problem solver. So coming in on the 50, I'm like, okay, I know exactly how to organize this. My time, my effort, my energy. It was like, 
come in and, and handle it. Like James is opposite of that, right? He's like, oh, we'll fly by the seat of the pants. We'll figure it out. I was like, no, there needs to be a plan. <laughs> so when it came to the hundred, um, my expectations were different. I didn't expect it to be as simple as James's sales pitch. You know, he always, his sales pitches, I was like, oh, it's going to be easy. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And I, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, now I'm like, oh no, we married long enough. I know that's not true. I know you're <laughs> hoping that's how it is. But really, it was my daughter, Lucy, that was the backbone of the project. And I was just the workhorse. So she was in charge of orchestrating everything. She was in charge of managing all the fine details because I still had my family. I mean, this is during the school year. This is I mean, life is still going on and I can't just step out of life to manage this project, which I was able to do on the 50. We packed everything up, put it in a storage unit, and we took off. Like it was only the 50. But this time around, I still had to manage our family and the affairs of the community and things inside our church. And my parents were in my basement, you know, like things were still happening. And so I just became the workhorse where I was like, whatever needs to be done, I'll do it. So Lucy, you organize it. You let me know where I need to step in. And then, of course, over time, roles kind of be were, were defined. They became definitive of who did what. But then when it came to someone dropping the ball, it was my job to step in and fill in the gaps. And the ball was dropped every day. <laughs> it was like nothing ever went according to plan. But the part that was good for me is that I knew theoretically during the bike ride, I had that chunk of the day. So I'd get up early and get him off the swim onto the bike. And then I kind of had this small chunk and then as soon as he finished the bike and was on the run, my day was over. It was like, you know, on call, run this, fix that. And I was the only person that could comfort James because everybody else wasn't his wife. So that first 23 days and 30 days and 45 days, I mean, there was only one person who could do a lot of those things. And that was me. So it was managing everyday life, managing the family, you know, supporting Lucy, because her burden was very heavy. She was in school and she was working other jobs. So I did everything I could to alleviate her burden, you know, and she and I kind of tag team stuff until we pulled that freaking thing off, man. <laughs> That's so awesome. How do you, how do you face someone, especially your husband who is, is going through that suffering? And then in the morning, you're the only one that can go and kind of speak to him and say, Hey buddy, it's time to go again. How does that feel for some, how does that feel for you? And how, how did you go about it? That's a great question. On the 50, it was quite traumatic because I had never seen James so broken. He's such a lighthearted person and he is like up for the fun all the time. And then all of a sudden he's completely broken, but he was also delirious. And so, um, it was a little different than watching him suffer. There were moments of suffering you know, like getting up up in the morning or like when his mind would kind of set straight for a minute, but a lot of the time he was out of it. And yeah. so the suffering was kind of masked by checking out where with the hundred, he was more cognizant, but he wasn't as cognizant as he thought he was. And that caused a lot of problems <clears throat> because he's thinking I can make these decisions and I can't. And then I always had to be the bad guy. So he was a disaster on the hundred. And for me, I just had to say to myself, you know, this is my drunk husband. It's not who he normally is. And I need to remember this is just temporary. And so I had to check myself because I couldn't take anything personally and I couldn't make it about me. I had to keep my eye on the prize. And when things went crazy, 
I had to be the one to pull everybody together and say, okay, settle down. And so there was a lot more suffering on the hundred. One, he wasn't as better as well prepared, but also, I mean, the length of time, it was a quarter of a year and half his brain was there. So the suffering was very real and very surfaced where before it was kind of stuck in the shock, you know? So it was hard. I mean, it was, I had to not want to punch him in the face every day as well as comfort him when he was completely broken. And that was quite the weight. That was a very heavy responsibility. That is so hard. Yeah. But I could imagine many couples like I I bet my wife can relate to that. Um, Just the idea (laughs) of actually having to give someone the love they need to get them to, to, to complete the mission whilst they're driving you crazy. And there's, there's many reasons why like letting go of your own ego, right. To then go vegan. The big, big at a level I can't even describe. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. even put it into words how much that I could have internalized mm. that I had to leave out, you know, like send it out the door and act like it didn't happen and, and check myself. I'm like, this is not the person I'm married to. This is a person who is severely suffering in severe pain, you know, and not all there but thinks he is so he's making all these decisions and screwing us all up and you know so it was almost like on a like it's it's like you just get through one wave you tell yourself that and then literally you've got to repeat that again to then get wow and it wasn't day by day and the thing i like to say about the hundred is the day never finished the way it started so the morning could be going really smoothly he could feel really great and then by lunchtime all hell breaks loose everything's falling apart. It's a complete disaster. And I'm like, man, I had hoped this morning that today was going to be a great day and it never Mm. was. And then there's other days that they start out and they're just a complete disaster. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And by noon, it's like, God hears this prayer and sends this tender mercy and slows the day down. And I'm like, catch my breath, you know, but it never, it was never consistent. It was literally minute to minute to minute. And I mean, I didn't sleep much and that makes those days even longer. So these are 20 hour days and 22 hour days of the ups and downs all day long. Like it was intense. It was no joke. Was so no you're, joke. Li- you're literally doing your own triathlon just in a different way at the same time as your yeah. husband doing a triathlon. And as I say, I was doing my hard, right? I was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't need any race, yeah. whatever just happened right there. That was legit stuff. Because you can also be like, I can imagine just looking at, trying to do something like, like the hundred, like a hundred days consecutively, no, no stopping. You can, you could just look at that and go, you're, you're being a dick. I, you wanted to do this. This isn't my thing. And yeah. Start blaming and start being quite. Yes. Um, Don't take it out on me. So you chose this, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be so easy yeah. to kind of just do naturally just to feel like that. Right. We, we get that in any relationship on very small. Oh, you didn't make it justified. Yeah. Yeah. Justified. Right. Yeah. yeah. Feel like that. Yeah. So yeah. To pack that away and to then that's, that's mental strength. That's mental. So what was the role of faith and how did that play a role in, I guess this, your family's mission and doing this? So for me, every decision I make is based off my faith, you know, prayer is very important and um, spending time in our scriptures and things like that. Um, my, my religious worshiping is very important to me. It's not just spirituality. It's a big thing today for people to say, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. But to me, the religious part is very important. And 
you know, it, it was not just a prayer in the morning and a prayer at night, but it was praying all day and pleading for the strength to endure. It was never, you know, make this pain go away because that's not how life works. It was give us the courage and the strength to see this through because mm-hmm. if it had been easy, no one would care. It's like, oh, I did this thing. It's so easy. And everybody's like, whoa, nobody even cares about you. You're a big jerk and not relatable. Sure. It was the suffering that made this story so valuable. And it was the walking he had to do that killed him inside that made it so all these people could join him and spend time with him and have their own experience inside of his experience. And that was all because of James's suffering. So we, we saw the value in that. And it was a matter of seeing it through and, you know, asking the Lord to lead us. And frankly, before we make any of these decisions, we are asking God, is this the right thing to do? Are we supposed to do this? Is it the best thing for us to do? Not just, is it a good idea, but is it what we're supposed to be doing? And, you know, what's the way we go about it? And that's where the whole idea came up with March is it's like, we're thinking we'll do this through the summer. And, you know, God says March 1st. And we're like, that doesn't make sense. March 1st. Yeah. And then in the end, it was like the greatest decision we ever made. But how would we have known that other than God saying, this is what you're supposed to do. This is when you're supposed to do it. So, I mean, hindsight, of course, is a a beautiful thing when it's not regret. And we're very grateful that we have that faith to turn to and to lean on because I don't I don't think we could have done it without it. Wow. There's so many lessons here, Sonny, that I just feel like yeah from even just taking what you've just said and applying it to say business like the first piece around dropping the ego and serving serving you're essentially serving and then the second piece about having that connection that deeper connection to that that inner knowing of this is the right thing to do and that wisdom and you're asking for that wisdom and that courage from god to try and continue on not to take away from it but to actually have that guidance which, well, and think about it. If God says, this is what you're supposed to be doing, then what's the question? There's no question. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Matter, yeah. no matter what happens, you know, he'll provide, right? You know that he'll step in and say, I know this sucks, but keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. So every day when there were struggles, we knew what's what we we're supposed to be doing. And we knew that the Lord would provide and we, we saw it through mm-hmm. and sure enough, you know, through the pain and misery, we conquered. Definitely. You definitely did. And that that's like, it isn't just the race, right? There was, there was haters. There was things that, like you said, things don't go right and things come up. There's curveballs. There. There's people that are there to trip you up and not necessarily serve the mission fully that, to get their own stuff going. And, and it, it's how do you deal with that whilst you're dealing with the challenge and the path that you've been guided to go on whilst yeah. managing yourself? Well, that's the whole thing is it's like, if James were to do this thing, it'd be like, oh, cool. But the fact that James did this thing and he supported other people in their own journey inside of his journey is what makes it beautiful. You know, and for me, it was really important to be looking out for the people who would come, of course, because of COVID, it changed things a little bit, but it was very important for me to make sure I was supporting these people who were coming out to support us, you know, if they needed a ride somewhere or if they got lost, because I was so grateful they were there for us. There was nothing I wanted more than for them to have their own positive experience and growth and journey. So that was a very beautiful part of it. And I think, I think it gave, I mean, even from a widest, but like I'm here in Singapore and like, even like that's impacted me right out here in Singapore and, and, and like hundreds of people I know and people that I know from 
the sports industry, but all over, right? Anyone who looked at what you guys were doing out there and doing it, it gave us that hope, that inspiration, that passion, that, that human race, that people can still push. And, and essentially what you did, like redefine impossible, but redefine it again, go even harder, go even bigger. And I think that gave, it gave millions of people that feeling, that that feeling that we as humans, we as people can keep pushing the limits. And I guess then you go out into your own day and you go, well, if they're doing that, what, what could I, you know, what can I achieve? What can I do? That's- I sure hope so. That's the whole point. Because hmm. again, who cares if some guy goes and does some amazing thing? It's it's what the struggle was to get there. It was the sacrifice to get there. And it was who he lifted up along the way. My dad used to always say, remember the people you see on your way up the ladder are the same people you see on your way down. So when you're going to crash, you sure hope that you treated those people right. And they're going to be there to support you too. And I just, I mean, we made so many new friends, random strangers that were so dear and so kind to us in our own space here where we live. But the dedication and the sacrifice that people made for us was, I mean, I can't even explain it. There were bikers that would come out and say, we were going to bike on Saturday, but we saw the weather was worse on Friday. So we came out on Friday because we knew you'd have fewer supporters. That's epic. Like, who does that? I'm going to pick a snowstorm over a sunny day just to support James. That is so incredibly beautiful. So how could we not want to support them in return, right? Man, that's awesome. Yeah, like that it, it goes both ways, like you said. It, it's just a Definitely. big big um so what in terms of your your story then, in terms of what ne- what's next for you and what what are you looking forward to doing? Well, I do a lot of podcasts and I have speaking events and stuff, and you know, I get a lot of attention. I who would have known? You know, I had no idea that typically you meet somebody and they're like, Where's your wife? We need to meet your wife. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> so- awesome. So frankly, I want to get myself out there, you know, and make connections. And, um, you know, it's been a big, important part for us to empower, not to inspire. Because empower says we're causing you to choose to take action for yourself. Instead of you just thinking what we did is admirable, we want to empower you to make changes for yourself. And so I would love to empower other people, women, teenagers, kids, all of them, Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised I get a lot of attention from men because they're like, hey, we need some help about our wife. Like, you know, and I'm like, you're doing it all wrong. Good thing you asked. <laughs> but, uh, but making that connection, you know, and connection with women, because, you know, a big misconception is that our dreams have to be wrapped up inside of us. And what people don't understand is that I've accomplished a lot of the things I've wanted to do through James's journey and being in the passenger seat with James. it, it It's not about the glory, you know. I have been incredibly fulfilled in this journey, ups and downs as much as James or anybody else through all of this. But, you know, I've had some, I've learned some incredibly valuable lessons and met some amazing people. And it's kind of set me on the path that God wanted me on. Mm. And so, you know, I I think in the future, it'll be me connecting with people. And I tell people I want to be the greatest female speaker of all times. So we'll see. Amazing. Well, I look forward to to coming and seeing you speak. That that will be I mean, brilliant. Yeah. As well as, as obviously potentially doing another one of these, but um, the mentors piece. So I think I, I know that you, you have a few mentors and you have pictures of them on your wall, just as I do. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about who your mentors are and, and, and why you chose them? So in my closet, I have people 
a lot of women who succeeded after they were 40. So I just turned uh, 40 in April and I had my children when I was young, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a young mom and a young grandma. And then I have my whole life still ahead of me. So, you know, a lot of people do the career first and then they have children after where we decided to do that reverse. And so, um, you know, some of these mentors, I, I mean, you think about the book, Harry Potter, and it's like JK Rowling was on food stamps and not able to pay her bills. And I mean, Connor yeah. McGregor, even, you know, it's like these people who went from having no money into yeah. be these incredible people. I even think of like Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's like, you gotta remember I'm a woman, right? So I'm thinking women, but they, um, they were just people living in Texas and they mm-hmm. built this empire. And I feel like they're very relatable and they're very kind and they're very down to earth. And I'm, you know, like Mel Robbins, I love Mel Robbins. Uh, I've met her and she's just very cool and very down to earth. But these are all people, I mean, even Rich Roll, he, you know, he was hitting rock bottom at 40. And so I say to myself, okay, I don't have to hit rock bottom, but now that I'm 40, I've got the rest of my life. What do I want to do? And it's just showing the world. You don't have to do this stuff when you're young, you can do it later. So that's, that's where, who my mentors are people who find this great success and they redefine themselves because most people have midlife crisis of 40. Anyway, they're like, Oh, I've been an accountant for 20 years. I'm tired of this. I want to do something else. So in that case, I'm like, Oh, I was a stay at home mom for all these years. And now I want to do, you know, now my kids are grown. It's time to do something else. I just don't need the crisis. I'm just moving on to the the next next, chapter, the next chapter, the next level. Yep. Five kids in six years. How was that? Amazing. Do you know why? We go to Six Flags, they all ride the same rides. We go to the movie theater, they all watch the same movies. If they're having a Halloween party tomorrow, it's relevant to all of them. So it was obviously hard. I, I watched my nieces and nephews a lot, and I babysat as well when they were all at home. Hmm. I, I just freaking love kids. I love them. I love that we had them close. I love how much they mean to each other. I'm so grateful that it worked out that way because now we're hanging out and we're enjoying life together and we have the rest of our life. So it was obviously hard, but like, who cares? Right. That's it. No, I, th- I think that's it. Like there's this set model of how people think it should be. And then that model is is hard anyway. And then when you just do what you want to do, because that's how it's working out for you and that's where you think you should be. And like, I've got two kids. I'm not sleeping much, but it's the how old are they? four and a half and four months so two boys oh yeah but, four months is young. but like I can imagine like it would be I'm not saying it's it's easier but like the joy you get from having those people like those bodies around those people those little individuals oh, around, yeah. it's such a joy that in, in that window of six years it's just there it's a fun period I know I know I'm not I'm not trying to take away from how hard that would be to kind of manage that experience but oh it was hard all right but yeah. I you're just in that stage though. Like I had them so close together. It was like once one was in diapers, they were always in diapers until I was done with diapers or it's like, I just was like pregnant nursing for six years. And then I moved on to the next stage, you know? So it's like, I kind of wanted to do it all together at the same time. Yeah. So once I moved out of that stage, I completely moved out of it. And I'm actually a lot more sad about it than I thought it would be. Really? Uh, yeah. All those years I was like, Oh, I can't wait till they're independent. Now I'm like, Whoa, are we here already? Like, there, was, there was tough times, right? This was all happening like oh, at yeah. the time when it was like the financial crisis, the job situation. Like, well, Quinn was only six months when James started his world record for the half 
distance in 2010. Oh, okay. A six-month-old baby. So I had seven, seven-year-old to a six-month-year-old, six-month-old when yeah. we started that in 2010. It was no joke. Yeah. It was no joke. And now it's like ancient history. You know, it's so crazy. It goes kind of so fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's flip gears a little bit. Let's, let's talk about Florida on the 50. Um, okay. <laughs> so there was a day when you had to tell James to suck it up and to not have sleep, basically, and to just get back on track because there was a point in in the mission where you were he was getting slower and slower. And obviously, if you get too far behind in terms of your wake-up time, you start... And we were get- moving east, right? So we were losing time. Right. Like we were an hour ahead every time, and it was like, oh, we lost another hour. So how did you... The question is, how did you define that that was the moment for tough love uh, as opposed to the moment where you would give maybe that tender heart where you'd go in and wake him up in the morning and you'd, you'd know how to get him, this person that's literally just finished 20 men triathlons to, to, come, to kind of move to the point where it's, no, this, this is time for tough love. You've got to do this. this like, what was the step change for you there? And, and how did you know that would work? That was one of the hardest things about the 50 is I had to be the monster because everybody else was like, oh, he's tired. Mm. I'm like, I've given up my entire life for this. James will regret it if he doesn't complete this. I have to live with the regret. You don't, right? So I had to be the monster and that was really hard. I was like, why do I always have to be that bad guy? Why do I always have to be the bad guy, right? So as any wise woman would do, she has his friends tell him. Because if I tell him, he's not going to listen. So what I did is I told the wingman and I told his coach. And they were the ones that went to James. Because if I say it, he disregards it. But right. All these guys say it. Ah. And the craziest part about this is we are in Mobile, Alabama. It is a 40 minute, 45 minute drive to Florida where we're going to be at in Florida. And somehow we still only get three hours of sleep. I don't get it. I'm like Pensacola, Florida is part. It, it's right there. <laughs> and still somehow they got so little sleep that a gentleman who was going to host them at his house they never even ended up going there to sleep. I don't get it. So what would happen is I'm incredibly efficient. And part of that comes from having so many little kids, yeah. right? It's like, I couldn't have survived if I didn't create these um, methods of organization and survival. Yeah. So James used to always say to me, it doesn't always have to be done your way. And I'm like, but it does. Because if I don't do it this way, it doesn't get done or there's a problem. And he, he's like, no, it doesn't matter. Who cares? And I'm like, it matters. Or it won't happen, right? But he never caught on to that, you know, for 15 years of marriage. So we're on the 50 and I say, this has to be done this way or there's going to be negative consequences. Uh-huh. And and everybody's just like, oh yeah, okay. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like we have a problem and we were starting, we were supposed to start at seven o'clock in the morning. We were someday starting at 11 a.m. And my biggest concern was that some people were they had jobs and they said, okay, well, I can come swim with them because I could swim from seven to eight, mm-hmm. eight thirty, and then and then he wouldn't start till eleven. And so these people missed their opportunity to join him. And that really bothered me. It bothered me that we had all these people who were there to support us and look out for us, and that we were being insensitive to their needs. And so 
of course, people are like, well, it doesn't matter because it's about this project. And I'm like, it matters to me mm-hmm. because I care about these people who are giving us the time and supporting us. So we have to come up with a solution. So behind the scenes, I start talking to the right people and trying to get all these pieces in place to make all these things happen appropriately. And still he gets freaking three hours of sleep that night. I was so bugged. I'm like, how did this happen? How did this happen? And what happened is he poked around in Alabama, took a sweet time and hung out. And, <laughs> and I'm like, you just wasted two and a half hours. You know, like he, he yeah. never, James is a dreamer. So he's always thinking about the dream. He's never thinking about the steps to get there. That's my job. That's our personality difference where I say, great. I see this huge dream, but you realize there's a lot of stuff in between that has to get us there. And he's like, why, who cares? We'll just, and I'm like, no, 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 we have to do this or you won't succeed. And so of course, over the years, he's gotten better, you know, with a hundred, right. it was much better. He's still, he still fought some stuff on the hundred. He regrets it. But, um, so it was a matter <laughs> of following these steps to get there. And that's what makes us such a great team is he has this grand vision. And I say, okay, now I'm going to look at it objectively, totally unemotionally. And I'm going to tell you how we're going to get there and what needs to be done. And then typically he'll do like mm, a quarter of what I tell him he should do. (laughs) (laughs) He'll say, oh yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll do that. And then he doesn't, you know, and that's kind of got him in trouble on the hundred is that he didn't prepare uh, like he should have, he was overconfident and that got him into big trouble. The training piece. Yeah. He did not do his training. And it's too funny because people will say, he'll say, no, I did my training. I mean, Carly, you know, my best friend and she helped coach him. She's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> so in his mind, he's like, oh, who cares? I'll just wing it. I always wing it. I can figure this out. Yeah. Well, a lot. Yeah. And then he gets there and he's in big trouble. And he was like, Ooh, I did not prepare for this. And we're like, we know you didn't. <laughs> And that's when you then have to go into overdrive to kind of make it work. Anyway, you have to, yeah, you have, you knew that's coming. You can see it's coming, but that's where you are. Oh, I always know. I always know. I always say to myself, it's going to surprise him. It's not going to surprise me because that's just how I think. I, the entire world is in puzzle pieces to me. Right. And I'm like, he's trying to skip pieces Mm. and he thinks he's going to get the whole picture. Well, I'm looking at the pieces I see him sitting over there. I know exactly what's going to happen but I know how to implement them and plug them in. And that's the other part of it. You know, I couldn't say, I told you so. Why didn't you listen to me? It's his journey and it's his life. He's the one that has to suffer the consequences. How do you influence someone then? How do you say, you know, that and you can see in the direction it's going, how do you influence someone to actually do the things they need to do? That's the interesting thing about being married is that you have to live the consequences of your spouse's action. So it's like my sisters, if they do stupid crap, I'm like, whatever, man, your life. But if James says stupid crap, I'm like, well, now it's my problem. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's marriage. Yeah. It, but this, it's the same for him, right? That if I'm, if I'm not where I need to be, he has to suffer that as well. So it's a matter of representing your own journey and appreciating other people's journey and not comparing them. My journey is different than James's, even though we're married. And so I have to respect his journey and the processes he takes on that journey, even though they're different than what, what I would have done. Because as a parent, you're like, I'll tell my kid exactly how to make it through life and be happy. But you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their yeah. Life, right? It's their life. So it's the same thing with him that I'm like, okay, man, you do it your way. And then I'll pick up the pieces. <laughs> but that, I committed to that when we got married. I knew that's how he was. And 
And frankly, that's okay. It really is because that's who he is. This is who I am. And so we make a great team. And did, okay, so this is amazing advice for everyone listening. I think that's some of this marriage advice and dealing dealing with husbands and wives. Like this is this is great relationship stuff. This is awesome. Um, did that come as a result of you together doing something like this challenge or was this the result of just living life together like like going through things like tough times or difficult situations and or is it just a function of who you are together uh it was definitely hard times because when we were first married um i was ready to grow up and james wasn't and so it it was always hard for me to carry the load when he wasn't willing to grow up. And it wasn't until we hit hard times that not only did he grow up, but he realized how grateful he was for me. And grow because, up in the sense, like, 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 um, like, you know, he wanted to hang out with friends all the time. And it was like, Oh, who cares if the kids have a bath or not? Who cares if they brush their teeth? And I'm like, who knows it matters. If <laughs> okay. Okay. That's what we're talking about. Like right. I would come home at night. I, I never went out because I would come home so frustrated that it wasn't worth it. I come home and it's 11 o'clock at night. No one had dinner. No one was in jammies. No one had a bath. And I was like, I won't go out anymore Got because it. I was like, and, and you know, I feel like this is common in all marriages based on personalities. Right. Cause he just isn't a detail guy. He doesn't care. He's like, ah, they'll be fine. And I'm like, not every night. They can't not brush their teeth every night, you know? Yeah. And I was so organized that I was like, but I laid everything out for you. You know, it would have been so easy. But as soon as we came on hard times, he had a lot of people turn their back on him. Right. And he knows that I very easily could have been one of those people. And I wasn't. And I know that he values that. And so that really strengthened and edified our relationship around 2008, 2009. Like we had been married less than 10 years but, you know, I remember praying and I was like, you know, Heavenly Father, I we really need to pull together in our marriage. Mm. And we had been married probably, I think this is around 2010 or 11. And I was like, we just really need to pull together. And the heavens opened and the voice of God spoke to me. <laughs> and he said, for 10 years, you've been praying you'd be closer. I'm, I'm answering your prayer through all of this hardship. Wow. And he was right. So it was that hardship. It was not, you know, our personalities were compatible, but we weren't moving at the same pace. I was moving at a much faster pace mm -hmm. into adulthood and responsibility, even though he's five years older than I am. And he, he was dragging his feet as long as he could. And I think when he realized everybody turned their back on him, except for me, and I mean, everybody, um, I think that meant a lot to him. And then as we continued to see hard times, you know, when we didn't have any money, I didn't complain that we didn't have any money. I just always figured it out. Mm -hmm. And that's that solution orientation, right? It's like, I'm solution oriented. You figure it out mm -hmm. and you get really creative and you pull together and you have no one, but each other and God. And so mm -hmm. that, that changed us forever. And I look at him now and we're coming up on 21 years and I'm like, that is not the person I married. Not even close. Like he is so much more tender hearted and he is so much more conscious of the world around him and the people in his life. He very much cares about what I think and how I feel, uh, which I would have never thought the first few years were married, you know, I would have thought that he's in it on his own and here it is all these years later. So I kind of have like this uh, dual opinion about divorce because I think a lot of people jump ship when things start to get hard mm. instead of figuring it out.
But at the same time, everybody shouldn't stay married. <laughs> There's some people that need to get out of a relationship. But I'm like, I could have easily said to James, this isn't what you promised. This isn't how it was supposed to be. I'm out. And it would have been completely justified. But I committed to stay with him forever. I mean, I love him even with his shortcomings and even through hardship. I was like, no, we're going to figure this out together. And there were times that I think it surprised him that he vocalized it and was like, you deserve better than this. I was like, yeah, so let's make it happen. (laughs) You know, it's like, great, let's do it together. Let's figure it out. So it definitely is the hardship. It was definitely the hardship that helped shape our relationship. Wow. That was one of the best answers I've ever had on the show. (laughs) <laughs> I think that gives no, but that gives so much to people because, like, that is a very real thing that happens in a lot of relationships where you all of what you've just described can happen and, and in, in various forms. But you're learning and getting better together. I think. I think when you decide to stick with it and you decide to to go to grow together, but also look what it's helped you do. Right? If you hadn't have kind of gone through that, back imagine, time, yeah, none of this would have existed yeah. had I said. This is bull crap. You're a loser. I'm way more responsible. I'm out. None of this would have happened. And I'd have a broken family. So what's, you know, the, what's the deal though? Like if, if a woman or a wife is in a relationship where the man is, is immature or not pulling his weight or, or whatever kind of situations it is, how, how, what would your advice be to then kind of, yes, stick with it. But like, how do you then move up, up a level without kind of overburdening yourself and just kind of, taking on taking over. That's a great and complex question, of course, based on personalities and relationships, but I like to call it bringing someone conscious instead of being confrontational. So confrontational is like, you're a loser. You need to get a job. I do everything. You do nothing. You sit around all day. Bringing someone conscious is like, Hey, what are your plans for the day? Oh, I'm just going to So are you planning on heading out to look for a job? If you're going to be home, would you mind helping me with some of these things? You know, it's bringing to their attention that, you know, what's happening or it's like, Hey, you know, this weight's getting really heavy that I'm carrying on my own. Mm -hmm. Like I need some support. And if it's not going to be a job, it needs to be around the house or, you know, sometimes it's ultimatums, but I've always been brutally honest with James. I've never, my personality is not fluff. It's not passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey man, this is a problem. Something has to change. And so he's never wondered where I'm at. He, I always tell him, he always knows there's no games. There's no, you can figure it out. It's like, no, I've been feeling like this for ages and I just, you yeah. should have known. Never builds up. And, and my responsibility on my part is that I take accountability for my emotions. So if I'm really upset about something, And this is, you know, to answer an earlier question in regards to that as well is like, how do I know when it's tough love or gentle love? It's Mm -hmm. I step back and I take a few breaths and I say, what do I want to say? And what do I need to say? Because they're very different. What I want to say is not necessarily what James needs to hear. So I have to say to myself, this is the ego, of course, right? The ego wants to say, you're a loser. You play video games all day. Get off the couch. You just eat pizza and stuff your face or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what they need to hear is, you know, I believe in you. And if you don't, you need to know that I do. How can I help you today to move forward in your life? What can I do to support you? Damn. So that's, that's like the game. You're giving the love. when yeah, You're, you're saying the same thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're saying the exact same thing. So what do they need to hear 
not what do you want to say? And yeah. I also I've taught my kids this too, as I say, how would you like someone to approach you? If you're in a bad mood, do you want someone to walk in and go, what's your problem? Or do you want them to say, hey, you seem upset today. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. You're asking the same question, totally different. Mm-hmm. Yes, you, you, and then therefore, which one's going to get you? The, you're actually helping yourself, right? But yes, you're, you're conscious you or you're confrontational. Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you'll get what you want because you're like, how can I support you? You know, what do you need from me to help you find your happiness? And you're going to get what you want when they say, you know what? I just, I can't stop thinking about my mom's death. And mm. you're like, oh my gosh, I, that was 10 years ago. I had no idea that was bothering you so much. Mm-hmm. But because of your approach, they feel safe and they feel like they can open up to you. Where when you say, what's your problem? Shut down. I can totally relate to that. And that that's, <laughs> yeah. That's, stop saying what's your problem. <laughs> it's, it's it's just a big thing, right? Because you don't know what's going on for the other side, what, what's on yeah. for the other side and what's going through the head. And it can be something that you could want to kind of, soothe and, and help right you want yeah. to help that type of if thing you only but, knew. but you don't know you and then you're going to re- like open that piece up unless you approach exactly. with um exactly. with it's the same with kids too right your kids getting lippy or they're getting whatever and you're like hey man you, you, you all right versus, <laughs> versus don't you talk to me like that i'm your mom you need to respect me it's like you all right man you you seem like you're not doing so well today and then they're like Oh, you know, typically, oh, sorry, this and this and this happened today. But if you teach them to shut down by confronting them, they don't like that. You want them to feel safe with you. They want their blood. So with James, it's easy. It's like, I know, or on the 50 or on the 100, I knew based on what type of answers he get based off of what questions I ask. You, you provoke the right answers with the right questions. So if I ask the right questions, I get the right answers and I know exactly where he was at. And I knew if he needed tough love or if he needed gentility and love. And on the hundred, it was all gentility. It was never tough love. On the fifty, I felt like it was always tough love. Totally different. Wow, and and there've been different different missions, right? Different because you've got yeah. moving from state to state. There's a different logistical. There's loads of, of nightmare. Different, different logistical nightmare. <laughs> and then, but like, but like that that also could be a big misconception in motivation, right? Because you get people that would just think it's got to be rah rah motivation. This is how we're going to motivate. Like if you're in a sales team or if you're in a yeah. games right like like yeah i hate hype yeah it might not it's not the necessarily the way that you're going to cut through and actually get change yeah i don't like hype hype you start to do hype and the rah rah i'm like i don't like you i'm out because to me that's manipulative it, they're having to hype something up to trick you into doing it instead of just being honest with you if it's great they can be honest with you and tell you it's great if they have to create hype I feel like they're misleading you. So I don't like hype. So with James, I'm like, there's no hype, right? It's like, these are the facts. This is where we're at. And it's interesting. Something that James struggles with is being present. So on the days he was struggling, he was struggling thinking ahead. And he was struggling with, you know, always thinking the next thing. And I'm like, bro, you got to like in this moment right here, you're sitting here with your family, eating warm soup on this freezing cold day and you're done. You've got to stay here now. Don't jump to tomorrow. Don't jump to 30 more events. Don't jump to, you know, how am I ever going to prepare the finish line for the hundred? I'm like, now you have to stay right now. And that's something he really, really struggled with on the hundred was staying present. 
And you were Naturally. helping Naturally. him stay present. <laughs> you were helping him stay present because that was actually helping him succeed. Definitely. Yeah. Like he's getting ahead, right? In his head. Yeah, know? because all day long he's like, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be laying in my bed. And I'm like, and now you're laying in your bed and you're worried about tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, all day long, this is what you've wanted, and you're in your bed. Like, love the bed. He's like, Yeah, but I gotta get up tomorrow morning. And I'm like, don't think about tomorrow morning. You are in the warmest jammies because it was freezing, snowing. Yeah. And I'm like, warmest jammies, you're tucked in, like it's over. So he really struggled staying present, but that's because it was such a long journey. I mean, he obviously was thinking, you know, it's March and I'm not finishing till June. <laughs> like, that's a long time. It's a lot to swallow. But, yeah. Yeah. And so then that was then you coming in with your plan and your efficiency. I mean, like you just bite off this chunk, just face, yeah. stay here, but then also enjoy, enjoy where we are now, because right now is the, is the bit that's going to help you get to the next. Yeah. That's- yes. You recharge. This mm. is the recharge so that you can get out of bed tomorrow morning. Well, and because we've been married so long, it was like, I knew what to say. I knew what words were good and what words were bad. I knew what type of sentiment he needed. I mean, I rubbed his feet every morning for 101 days mm. unless I was unless I wasn't available because I knew that that meant a lot to him. He loves having his feet rubbed, but it gave him incentive to get out of bed every morning. Waking mm. up was good news because he got his feet rubbed. Mm. He's not thinking about the pool. He's thinking about getting his feet rubbed. And mm. he'd be like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You just, I'd wake him up with 15 minutes. I'd rub his feet for 15 minutes. So he could kind of doze in and out that 15 minutes. Amazing. So I'd yeah. wake him up. I'd start rubbing his feet. And he's like, I don't want to get up. And I'd say, you don't have to Yeah. go back to sleep. Yeah. And there was yeah. something so powerful about that. Waking up and knowing he didn't have to get up. And then knowing I was right there, nurturing him, caring for him. So when that 15 minutes was up, he was ready. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. So he... he- yeah, you're keeping him in that moment longer and just yeah, yeah, dragging out. That's a great way to say that. I kept him in that moment longer. I really dragged it out. That 15 minutes can become an hour in his in time. Oh yeah. Stretch it definitely. out. And then the swim is is different. Mm. Yep, definitely. And the swim, you know, um we I would wake him up. I'd get up an hour earlier than him and I'd get everything ready. So when it was time to wake him up, I'd rub his feet for 15 minutes. He'd doze in and out. But then when he got up, it was like bathroom, way, wetsuit, grab food out the door. It was like 15 minutes tops. So we really maximized that sleep time. But he knew getting to the pool, all his friends to be there. We had created this huge culture at the pool and he knew when he got there, there was going to be all the people he loved and cared about there. So it may have been hard to get the wetsuit on, but he knew where he was going was going to be a beautiful place. And mm-hmm. then guess what? The same thing on the bike. The cycling community came out and supported him like no one else. And he knew every day those people were going to be there to support him. Or at least they had a text group pack, a pack of people around this text group. So they'd make sure that he had enough people there inside this group. And he knew that. So that was like the nurturing part. And then he'd get to the run and he just wanted to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not a fan of the run, right? Uh, no. And it was so long and grueling. And then when the shin problem, it was just, and he gets stuck with difficult people talking to him for seven you know, hours. It's just like, I don't care about your divorce. I don't even, 
Why are you telling me about your divorce for three hours? I don't even know you, you know? That's like a punishment within the punishment, right? It's like a set, it's another exactly. level of challenge. He is so miserable and he gets these people with him and he's just like, so then he developed this, that same swim crew would come and do part of the run and they would start to shelter him and, you know, his wingman, yeah. Casey, and they would kind of block and he would send signals and there were people that were blocking him when someone was difficult. But I mean, people, people are people. It's like, it's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's it. That's so true. Well, Sonny Joe, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I know you're a very busy woman. And you've got lots going on. So I know I know we're running out of time. So I, I want to make sure that we uh, wind down this properly. Um, but like, honestly, your words, your wisdom, like you're just your, your being. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> Definitely. It's um, I know that this will have touched many people's lives and the, and the audience will get so much from this from many different perspectives. Like there's there's so much that you just packed into the last like what, 50 minutes of of talk and yeah i'm just i'm truly thankful like i'm really really pleased to meet you and um i really do believe we'll see a lot more on your journey like it's come from somewhere and i see that this is now your time and and i can't wait to see you on that stage uh sharing sharing i appreciate you having me i appreciate it no worries